You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Friday, May 13th, 2022. This is episode number 279. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, a.k.a. Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us in over 30,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about what's at stake for legacy farmers, freeing the homies, a Pennsylvania court ruling that medical cannabis is still a controlled substance. What about the children on Michigan billboard advertising? Lawmakers and regulators duking it out in New Jersey and pointing fingers at each other. A Utah event allowing emergency consumption. And many other Frosty Nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Where's my gong? There we go. (laughs) Oh my god, fuck it, Friday. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What you got today, Rico? So my story is coming from Erica Zuko at uh, King 5 NBC News Puget Sound. Free the Homies' effort pushes to end marijuana-related incarcerations. Seattle-based licensed cannabis grower Solstice has teamed up with artist Teddy Stat Phillips to raise funds and awareness supporting the incarcerated. Stat's uh, Stat work became globally recognized during the 2020 civil unrest following public lynching of George Floyd at the hands of the murderer and former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. The Montgomery, Alabama-rooted Seattle-based artist created the Justice Series, a collection of bright artwork depicting men and women killed unjustly at the hands of police. He created a, and posted vividly colored illustrations of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and several others on his Instagram feed in an effort of solidarity for those fallen at the hands of police, hiding behind their shields in a broken system, and soon received a message from a friend in Seattle at a Seattle protest showing demonstrators hoisting his work blown up on picket signs hovering above massive crowds. If you see the pics, you'll instantly recognize his work. Well, stats back in the news doing great things yet again, this time to benefit the soldiers who fallen victim to the racist and illegal war on drugs remaining behind bars while the rest of us continue to eat various sized bites of the multi-billion dollar legalized cannabis industry pie. Per King 5 NBC News, in, in collaboration between a collaboration between the Seattle-based uh, uh, grower Solstice. His project aims to draw attention to what they say is a contradiction in need of cor- uh, correction. Solstice CEO and co-founder Will Denman said in the article, we really focused on legalization on medical cannabis and fast forward 10 years, we accomplished what that in Washington state, we accomplished that in a lot of states in the U.S. And so many people feel like the battle's kind of over, but it's not. So they launched a series to elevate local artists there, um, in the with their products used as a distribution platform. After connecting with Phillips, he proposed an awareness campaign that would donate money to the Last Prisoner Project. 
Even the establishment we're in right now, they're selling cannabis. But people who got locked up a while ago are still doing time for it. So it's a systemic issue. But I'm happy to have partners that see the issue and want to bring awareness to it as well, Phillips said. Um, he contributed two designs, one inspired by Monopoly's Get Out of, Free, uh, Get Out of Jail Free card and another one depicting Alan Russell serving a life sentence. In addition to the visuals, they're looking to educate the public on disproportionate numbers of black people incarcerated for cannabis offenses and the disproportionately low number of black-owned legal weed businesses. Pre-rolls with his artwork will be on sale at Have a Heart and the Reef in Seattle, and a portion of the proceeds will be donated to the Last Prisoner Project. Per the article, for further education, they're directing people to the Last Prisoner Project and uh, the Drug Policy Alliance and the ACLU. I love the nature, the energy, and the people behind this project and believe it's a phenomenal cause. Last Prisoner Project continues to dominate the headlines for their work with big-named artists and public figures drawing much-needed attention to the ugly side that persists in the cannabis industry. However, I do wish that they'd use their massive platform and war chest behind it to shine light on the smaller local organizations that have been doing much more work for a much longer amount of time on a local level, all of the places that they operate. Um, I don't want to take anything away from the good that's come from their efforts, but I do want to make sure that the positive messaging and sacrifices um, by countless others without the benefit of having millions of marketing dollars behind them uh, brought in by cele celebrities is not whitewashed. If anyone in Seattle can hit have a heart or reef this weekend and pick up a few packs of pre-rolls for me, uh, please hit me in the back channel so I can support the cause and show stats and love as well. Um, we'll work out the details offline. This is Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of the, the team's thoughts on this story. Do you know if they have merch available? I would love to have a Free the Homies t-shirt. I do not know. Let me, let me check that out here. Yeah, I you know agree. What I, mean? I think this is great. I love this. Um, yeah, I would totally proudly wear some merch. It is, his work is phenomenal, too. Very bright, vivid colors, like all that stuff. I'm just seeing prints on their website. Um, it's limited signed art prints, but um, I don't, I'm not seeing any merch as well. I'll, oh, I'll my God. Get some T-shirts, guys. Yeah. It's incredible stuff, though. Make a deal, Rico. You're in the clothing business. Hopefully this brings a lot of attention on this because I think this is huge. I think more and more we're seeing like not just how many people have been incarcerated and continue to be incarcerated. Like with this, as legalization grows, people are actually able to see what's happened behind right. the, the whitewash. And so I think this is great. I really hope it continues to be like a huge ripple wave tsunami effect. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Rico, I love your story. I just wish that we didn't have to have these uh, smaller uh, organizations trying to work on doing something that the state should be doing. Every state that legalizes cannabis should automatically be letting go people who are in prison for nonviolent cannabis um, crimes. So I, I just, it should just be a given. I understand the social equity and trying to get people of color into the business is faltering, but getting people out of prison, that should not be that hard. It, they can figure it out. I agree with you, Dr. Felicia. It's really hard to get a nonprofit organization going, and especially if you've got one going that you hope uh, to no longer be relevant very soon. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So I, I do absolutely love this, and I love that we're, we're getting all these prisoners out of um, incarceration, but Have a Heart should not be the organization leading this. Um, if you ask any BIPOC cannabis operator in Oakland, um, about have a heart, you'll get a much different um, picture, uh, painted picture. So, um, yeah, I, I, I love what they're doing, but maybe not the right focus leading the way. Um, Nick, are you I, sure that's I, well, all you have Nick, to say about that one, Nick? Nick, I, I, I do partially agree with you there. Um, and, I, and I say partially because we need to get these stories out. Like uh, um, uh, whether uh, whether we're not going to always have the perfect messenger for a lot of these stories, but as long as we are getting people out of prison, we're getting people getting awareness to the cause. Like I, I'm going, to, that, I'm going to, they, I'm going to support it. You know, I get that, um, but they legitimately like bought out black cannabis owners to give white equity applicants a position. So um, I agree with or, you, brother. I, I, like, I said, like, so. I, like I said, I'm, I'm torn. I'm torn on it, and, and I agree with you 100. But um, every minute spent 
uh, going for uh, going forward with, with with folks behind bars is 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 wasted. It's wasted time. They're not in front of their families. They're not with their friends or any of that. And while we continue to eat on the outside, so I, I do agree with you like wholeheartedly with what you're saying. But um, on the other end of it, like we have to get these stories out. The faster, the better. Let's keep smoking the news. Let's do it. Up next, he's the industry's longest continuously running retailer. In Detroit, they call him White Gucci. In Miami, they call him Gucci Blanco. In West Hollywood, they call him El Presidente. The ivory to my ebony. Mr. Jason Beck, what do you have on this beautiful Friday morning? Oh, yeah, Rico. Happy Friday, everybody. We made it through the week, and now we all get to celebrate. But I'll tell you who's not celebrating the people in New Jersey, where delays, price, and more, where lawmakers hammer in New Jersey marijuana regulators. At a hearing initially announced when the launch of the since-opened adult-use cannabis industry had been stalled, lawmakers found plenty of other ways to critique the state's cannabis regulatory commission. At a marathon meeting on Thursday, eight panels of witnesses cycled through over the course of four-and-a-half-hour meetings of the Senate Judiciary Committee that analyzed legal cannabis from a variety of angles. From regulatory delays to banking headaches to the challenges of supporting startups that better reflect the state's population. One of the top mind issues was price. The New Jersey's having among the nation's most expensive legal cannabis, a trend that won't abate until there are more growers and which keeps the underground illicit market strong even after the launch of regulated sales on April 21st. Jeff Brown, executive director of the CRC, I really love those letters, you know, because CRC, for anyone in the concentrate world, said it costs $50 to $65 to buy an eighth of an ounce of adult-use cannabis. And over the first three months of 2022, around $40 per eighth for medical consumers. That's actually not that bad, and especially if that's taxes included. So they should just shut up and just fucking deal with it. But nonetheless, Brown said the price was lower in early 2022. Let then, then in late 2021, driven by discounts, and will be closely monitored to make sure recreation or adult use sales do not affect that. Now, we'd like to see see them come come down more for sure, and that's why we continue to work and expand in the medical cannabis space. Brown said. Senator Troy Singleton, Democrat from Burlington, said a subset of people may benefit from discounts at the dispensary, but at the expense of others who are paying more. Maybe it's just the people I've talked to who are in this program, but so many in this program are telling me that they are being priced out of the ability to access their medicine, Singleton said. New locations for medical dispensaries were announced earlier by the CRC. The business who had applied in 2019 but got hung up in the legal battles. Lawmaker said that the CRC is also moving to slowly, slowly on issues such as allowing sales of cannabis-infused items to eat, drink, um, and permits for clinical research, and above all, standards for workplace impairment recognition experts who can tell if someone's impaired. Or really, all you got to do is look at their eyes. Just use some common fucking sense. Senator Anthony Bucko, Republican from Morris, said rules for what. Rules for WIREs are, as they're known, must be resolved and fast. We need to have a process in which employers can follow the regulations and be able to run their businesses without the concern of making a mistake, Bucko said. Jeff Brown of the Cannabis Regulatory Commission says the work is ongoing and they know it's a concern of businesses that don't want to run run afoul of state laws and rules. I will note that in our initial regulations, we did not include one that notes that essentially before the commission adopts those wire standards, the status quo continues and businesses continue to drug test, Brown said. The meeting was originally announced when the CRC delayed action on allowing medical dispensaries to expand to adult use sales, citing an expected shortfall of products that would hurt uh, patients enrolled in the state's medical cannabis program. The CRC quickly scheduled a special meeting that allowed for sales to start on the 13th or s- sales to start at 13 dispensaries owned by seven companies. One of the locations hasn't opened yet, unable yet to receive needed local approvals, but the uh, other 12 are running with, with consistent demand, but, f- but few known problems. There are only a mere issues that came up, said Ken Walski, executive director of the coalition, 
for medical marijuana in New Jersey. In fact, with some of these measures that the CRC took, we believe that the patient access has actually improved since adult use sales began. Wilkowski said dispensaries started offering medical patients online ordering and curbside pickup, home delivery, and deducted points of sale, or, or dedicated points of sale in their facilities. Those sales have launched. Senate President Nick Scaturi, Democrat from Union, said oversight would still still be help to examine issues such as cost. I'm actually convinced if we don't start this process, we might not be be open today, Scaturi said. And the state of New Jersey has enjoyed millions of dollars in sales as legal cannabis since the businesses have opened. Well, I'll tell you what, state of New Jersey, you're not going to be able to do anything except to affect the price other than lower your high-ass fucking taxes. Okay. And maybe and, – go ahead. And, Sorry. Uh, no, that was pretty much it, Susan. This is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I mean, starting with not allowing sales on 420, instead waiting until 421. Come on, New Jersey. Ridiculous. Haters. Haters. New Jersey, New Jersey, New Jersey. <laughs> Keep my mouth shut. Come on, Rico. I kept my mouth shut for the last one. You should comment on this. <laughs> I was, I was, on, I was, I, I was operating. Of if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. It, exactly. I, I'll wait to the third story to start running my mouth. Yeah, yeah. We've got a lot of stories today. We need to keep smoking the news. And Jason, put your keys down. What are you doing? You playing with your keys? Keys, keys open doors. Keys, keys, keys turn into G's. Keys open okay. doors. Keys, keys open doors. Susan. Let's keep smoking the news. Jason Beck. Oh, sorry. I'm <laughs> doing that key. yeah. You doing that key, I'm sorry. Jason? I'm having a wrong day. I'm a little, little, uh, little out of it today. So I apologize. In an industry full of snakes, fakes, and flakes in the great purple state of Texas, with trolls posting up daily, smoking Delta 8 under the bridge with Rico Lamite, this fellow dope dad is hitting the high road. That's right. He's the ho- the host and co-creator of the new show with Sensi Magazine and fellow seeker of the truth. Coming up next to the stage, it's Stone Slade. <laughs> thank you, Jason Beck. No Delta 8 here, but uh, thank you. Um, anyway, this story comes from Thomas Edward at High Times. Back in 2020, Franklin Dabney, a 29-year-old from Hanover, Pennsylvania, was pulled over after a Pennsylvania state trooper clocked him going 93 and a 65. When the trooper approached the vehicle, he stated that he noticed a strong odor of raw marijuana coming from inside the vehicle. Dabney then whipped out his medical marijuana card and told the officer that the smell was probably originating from his clothes. The York Daily Record reported that law enforcement conducted a warrantless search of the vehicle, finding flakes of suspected cannabis near the center console and front passenger seat, as well as a shopping bag containing three baggies of pot. The police contended that Dabney had dilated eyes, dilated and red eyes, and also showed signs of impairment during standard field sobriety tests. Once Dabney was arrested, he was taken to the Gettysburg Hospital, where blood tests revealed that he did have active uh, cannabis compounds and metabolites in the system, obviously. Um, In 2021, a little bit more than a year after the arrest, a Pennsylvania judge found Dabney guilty of driving under the influence, careless driving, and speeding, and sentenced him to six months probation with 10 days of house arrest and handed down over $1,100 in fines. In Dabney's appeal this month, his attorneys contended that the medical marijuana is not a Schedule I controlled substance in Pennsylvania and that law enforcement should be prohibited from charging and prosecuting them for two subsections of DUI. And if it were, the DUI law would be in conflict with the state's medical cannabis stature. Nice try, but no. Last week, a panel of three judges in Pennsylvania Superior Court rejected that argument. In the ruling, Judge Deborah A. Kunzman said that medical marijuana remains a Schedule I controlled substance and that no conflict exists between the Medical Marijuana Act and the Vehicle Code. Kunzman also wrote, there's no need for medical marijuana to be listed as a Schedule I controlled substance because medical marijuana is marijuana, specifically marijuana for certified medical use, adding that the Medical Marijuana Act did not remove marijuana uh, from the schedule list of Schedule I controlled substances. Additionally, the panel rejected the defense's contention that the state trooper was wrong to conclude that there was probable cause to arrest him for DUI, The judge wrote, we find no merit in this issue. Our Supreme Court has held that because of the MMA, the odor of marijuana alone does not amount to probable cause to conduct a warless search of a vehicle, but rather may be considered as a factor in examining the totality of the circumstances. The case uh, could have ripple effects for Pennsylvania's more than 400,000 medical cannabis patients. As the York uh, Daily Record noted, the ruling is presidential because it it means that the binding effect in future cases, it'll have effect, excuse me, on the uh, 
future cases in Pennsylvania. It remains unclear if they, uh, Dabney will file another appeal. You know, I think it's, it's debatable whether cannabis negatively affects one's driving abilities. I mean, here at the State of Cannabis News Hour, we've reported on studies that actually show the opposite. There's still no foolproof way for law enforcement to detect impairment from cannabis consumption. And props to his lawyers for attempting the argument that medical cannabis isn't a Schedule One drug in Pennsylvania. However, come on, man. If you're going to drive around reeking with cannabis in your possession, a little bits of it all over your console and passenger seat, which quite frankly tells me you were probably smoking in the car, at the very least, be smart enough not to speed or break other simple traffic laws. Two things my dad always told me, don't do the crime if you can't do the time, and if you do, just don't be stupid. I'm Stone Slade, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Stone, they should have just told him it's fucking hemp. But, yeah, exactly. Yes. That's, that's what I'm doing here. There's so many uh, dumb criminals in the news this week, I feel like. And his so name. Dumb criminals every fucking day, Rico. Every his day. name. These are just the stories Dabney, he, he needs to change his name to Dab Not. Do the lawyers want to weigh in on this? Is this a big deal, Omar, Brandon? Um, what do we think? I don't know. I think I think this is stupid. I mean, for anyone to think that a court wasn't going to decide that cannabis is a controlled substance when it's in the Controlled Fucking Substances Act is just a complete idiot. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these so-called legalization laws don't fully legalize cannabis. You know, that's the state in California, which pseudo-legalized cannabis. And um, true legalization happens when you entirely repeal cannabis prohibition. And that did not happen in Pennsylvania. But it's good that at least the court said it's not probable cause to justify a search. And that's going to basically make the cops lose interest in using cannabis as a pretext for other investigations, but, yeah. but will it, will it, will it, Omar? You don't think that that, that it's going to just make the lawyer or make the cops ask different questions that automatically entrap the individual? I think cops tend to lose interest in cannabis once it gets legalized or whatever pseudo legalized, um, especially once it, it gets degraded from a felony to a misdemeanor. So that tends to have the most effect on, on law enforcement. Um, but you're right. Law enforcement will always have pretextual questions and, you know, think of all sorts of traps. The best thing to tell the police is nothing. I want to talk to my lawyer. I want to remain silent. I do not consent to a search. Right. Yeah. Let's let Brandon have the last word. Well, you know, I would echo what Omar is saying and also acknowledge, you know, if the jurisprudence and judges are saying it's not probable cause, then that creates an avenue where, you know, Anything that may be discovered from future or future searches that use that as probable cause aren't necessarily going to lead to successful convictions, which over time might erode the cops' interest in doing this. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, it still uh, has intoxicating effects. You know, there are plenty of uh, lower scheduled substances that have intoxicating effects when you get a prescription. It tells you right on the bottle don't operate heavy machinery. A car is still considered heavy machinery. So, you know, like, there's really not, uh, an, uh, there's not a back door for the law to say driving while uh, high is going to be okay. As do not admit, and you will acquit. Let's do it. She's a full-time conservative, feisty, redheaded, splitting her days and nights between political strategizing with politicians and baking delicious treats. And those treats we've yet to confirm really exist, just like her Mayflower roots. Coming up next is the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington insider, Gretchen Gailey. What you got for us today, Gretchen? Those are some fighting words, Rico. I don't know what's gotten into you today. Uh, my, my headline is coming from Marijuana Moment. Uh, congressional lawmakers push for marijuana banking at first conference meeting on large-scale manufacturing bill. A bicameral Congressional Conference Committee tasked with settling differences on a large-scale manufacturing bill kicked off negotiations yesterday, and several appointee conferees from the House and Senate took the opportunity to push for marijuana banking reform as part of the package. At least seven members made a point to raise the cannabis issue as part of the discussion of the America Competes Act, most of them in a supportive way. That includes the Conference Committee co-chair, Senator Maria Cantwell of Washington. Conferees emphasize the need to give state legal marijuana businesses access to traditional financial services as a public safety imperative that could also bolster the economy. 
Uh, Earl Blumenauer said, this Congress has a chance to deal with several longstanding policy changes, providing cannabis businesses with access to banking. Uh, it's critical that Safe Banking Act be retained. Uh, it, uh, where was I? Uh, it's critical that Safe Banking Act be retained, the Congress said, adding that three people uh, in the chairwoman's home state of Washington in the span of one week have been killed in incidents targeting marijuana businesses. Safe Banking Act is an issue of public and worker safety. It's passed the House six times. I hope we work together to retain it because it is a matter of life and death. Representative Maxine Waters, who chairs the House Financial Services Committee and previously listed marijuana banking as a legislative priority ahead of the conference, said that bipartisan House support for the Safe Banking Act is evident in its inclusion in the American Competes, and I urge my fellow conferees to support its inclusion in the final conference report. While the House included the marijuana banking proposal in its version of the American Competes Act, the language was stripped in the Senate. Still nearly a quarter of all senators uh, sent a bipartisan letter yesterday urging that cannabis banking be included in the final bill. Uh, and there are certain champions of the issue who have been appointed to the conference to negotiate the bill. Senator John Hickenlooper, for his part, said yesterday that the manufacturing legislation represents a rare opportunity to reinvigorate our economy and cut the red tape that has been holding back American innovation. It could do that in part by modernizing our bank laws so that cannabis industry isn't operating in all cash darkness. The third highest ranking Democrat member in the Senate, Senator Patty Murray, also of Washington, has taken special interest in marijuana banking reform, describing it as a priority of hers as an appointed member of the bicameral conference committee. She said she hopes we can all come to an agreement to keep safe banking in our final bill so that cannabis stores in states like mine do not have to operate entirely in cash. This is really a straightforward bipartisan solution to a real public safety threat that I strongly believe that we should all be able to agree on. Uh, and I agree with Senator Murray. I hope that they all can agree on safe banking and look to keep it uh, in the American Competes Act. Although I don't have much faith in Chuck Schumer, I do think that he will try and get in the way of this. Uh, like they said, there was a letter yesterday from 25 senators. Uh, 19 were Democrats. Uh, six were Republicans. Um, all signing on saying they wanted to support this. I do believe there is a support uh, in the Senate to pass safe banking if they really wanted to. This scratch for State of Campus News Hour. Pass safe banking. Isn't safe banking baked into the MORE Act that they pass a million times too? No. Well, no, if you pass the MORE Act, then you don't need safe banking, but the MORE Act's going nowhere, so it's hold on, hold on. You need the provisions that are in the MORE Act, and that's what the compromise is. It seems to me like no, you know, no, you know what? No, we don't. I, I, I agree uh, with you. I, I agree Rico, with you that you Chuck Schumer's on some bullshit. The MORE Act I, would be scheduled, and that's the problem for banks. I agree. Don't need the safe banking. Listen, hold up, hold up, hold up. I, I, I agree with you. Chuck Schumer's always on some bullshit too. But you know a big compromise that they did is they put the safe banking into the more or less act i'm not a fan of the more act but i'm saying if you want some they some not, they bullshit not put safe banking into the more act rico that is not the case bro that's in the, not in the, that's in the last news. iteration that's it was. fake news that's fake news the, no rico rico let fake, me fake, fake, fake news bro. fake news is tying safe banking to fucking all these all these murders like all the no, murders would have happened they would have they would have factual they would have happened Speaking they would have someone, happened regardless. Speaking as someone who has been the victim of violent crimes around cannabis businesses, I've fucking had armed home invasion robberies happen to me. I've had fucking been speaking as somebody who lived in the fucking hood the and thing. still continues so, to. Those fucking crimes still continue to happen. They're going to happen regardless. Yes, gentlemen, but they'd be gentlemen, marginalized gentlemen. if we had safe faith. It's a scapegoat to give to more fucking power to the uh, we collect. No, that's fake news. Pocket. Eric, no, it's bullshit. All the banks are going to win. The people are going to lose. The banks are always going to win, bro. <laughs> Any piece of legislation that would deschedule cannabis, like the MORE Act, would just mean you don't need safe banking. So, but none of those are going okay. through. <clears throat> the only thing with support right now is safe banking. We're way over time. Yeah. We're way over time. I'm going to give Dr. Bong the last word. Make it quick, Dr. Bong. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. I just think that when has banking ever been on the side of people who are marginalized? You know, I understand, but we got to think about think about what Rico said. There's two sides to every coin. Thank you. Peace. All right. We are going to relight this I room. I love you, Dr. Bong. 
We you are tuned Dr. in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. All right, coming up next, this pinup girl isn't just your ordinary man cave wallpaper. She's an all-around data cruncher that's known a thing or two about numbers and shit. An educator, a brand strategist, a healthcare consultant, and founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. It's Liz Rogan. Thank you so much, Jason, and happy Friday the 13th, everyone. Thanks for joining in today. My story comes from MJ Biz Daily by the MJ Biz Daily staff. Interesting no one's willing to put their name on that. Anyway, the headline reads, Glass House to acquire three California cannabis retail locations for $22.6 million plus. So I'm sure you remember Glasshouse Brands that was acquired in 2021 by Mercer Park Acquisition Corp. And now shares, uh, now trades on the Canadian NEO exchange as GLAS and on the U.S. over-the-counter markets as GLASF. Well, they are continuing to grow by expanding their California retail dispensary footprint. In a deal worth more than $22.6 million, they are going to acquire three retail locations from the Natural Healing Center, which you probably remember from hearing in the news before. This has been a hotly hotly debated topic, um, basically going back to Helios Dayspring, who is the originally owner and is now facing um, felony charges and misdemeanors in regarding to money laundering and um, bribing officials. So there's a whole soap opera behind the Natural Healing Center. Regardless, uh, Kyle Kazan, the CE Glasshouse chairman and CEO, is excited to take these on. He says that this will advance us further in our goal of becoming one of the largest retailers in the state, providing incremental outlets for flower sales, and add further support to their CPG business, including Plus, who they um, acquired earlier this year. He says they were attracted to the three licenses because each of these permits is domiciled in a limited license jurisdiction. So he doesn't believe that the city governments in these three locations will issue more license anytime soon. So they see that as something that's Excellent. Well, there's two operating retail dispensaries currently in Lemoore and Morrow Bay. They acquired them for uh, approximately $22.6 million, and that was through a combination of approximately $5.7 million in cash, and the remainder was in Glasshouse equity shares. The third retail dispensary, which is currently under construction, is in Turlock, California, and they're hoping to open in quarter three of 2022. They accept, expect to complete the acquisition of the Turlock store upon its opening, and Glasshouse Brands will own 100% of the equity interests. Valnette Garcia, who is Helios's partner, Helios Dayspring's partner, who then took over all the shares of the Natural Healing Center after all the drama went down, she commented, quote, we have carefully curated our dispensary profile and invested meaningful capital into our build-outs to both drive traffic and provide customers with a world-class experience. And she's proud to partner with Glasshouse, who shares the mission of providing customers with the highest quality cannabis at an affordable price. So this will be interesting to see how this uh, moves forward. This is great for Glasshouse. If you look deeply into the details, it's kind of a little interesting with the numbers because in some of the they will be paying uh, a little bit over what the actual store makes per month. So it's a little interesting in what's going on there. Some of the details seem a little fuzzy. I've looked deeper into it and haven't found too much, but maybe there'll be more to report on this in the future. So I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. This is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I went to high school in Lemoore, and there's a lot of military in Lemoore, and it's pretty conservative, and I don't understand. I don't really understand the play. I, I don't. I don't think the, the one more play, can handle two stores. The play is that it's a city with limited licensure, so therefore, just like any of these other states that offer limited licensure, where all the MSOs claim to hang out and hang. I understand, out. Jason. I understand, okay. but I, the town can't even handle one store. It's a tiny town. Like Susan, like, Are you the marketplace? The, the market yeah. should dictate whether or not a store survives or not. I went to high school there, Jason. There. That doesn't make sense. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree with Jason. Like, like they're easy wins. They're low hanging fruit for these MSOs and for these like like large uh, corporations to come in and scoop up a bunch of real estate. I increase their footprint. I don't see a sagacious uh, business play. Looking at the population of the more twenty five thousand people, you know, and a lot of them are conservative. That's not enough to support. They're all military. Are you saying that conservatives don't smoke cannabis? They're military. Military. My dad was in the Navy. We lived in Lamar. They get tested. Only if you're active duty do you get tested. If you're if you're a family of military, you don't get tested. And if you're a veteran, you don't get tested. Ten thousand low income military. Exactly. It may be the surrounding communities around Lemoore as well. I mean, you know, a lot of uh, California, frankly, is a limited cannabis market because of what the League of Cities did on Prop 64 and limited the number of uh, dispensaries that are around the whole state. So it may be just a whole surrounding area. Maybe Let they'll Lemoore run have a huge, more cannabis. Maybe they'll run a huge compassion program out of the dispensary. Let's be hopeful. Yeah, Christopher made a really good point. There aren't too many uh, retail uh, outlets in the Central Valley, and Fresno hasn't even come online yet. So, yep. Okay, let's keep smoking the news. Let's do it. Is, is, is Jaja next, or is it is it Guy? It's Guy. All right. Up next, he is the co-founder and CEO of Papa and Barkley, and a well-known and revered industry OG, veteran, and dope dad. He's a defender of the culture, never scared to speak up for our legacy. And everyone, please take your seats and set your phones to Do Not Disturb. It's time for the Gospel of Guy Rocord. What you got for us today, Guy? Thanks, Rico. Good morning, team. Happy Friday the 13th. So this is a great article coming out of Forbes. Huckleberry Hill Farms on what's at stake for legacy cannabis growers. So this was a refreshing article about legacy providers John Caselli and his partner, Rob Mo- Rose Mobley Caselli. They carry on their work of their mom, who, pr- who moved to the Emerald Triangle uh, as a back to the lander back in 1976. This is a second generation cannabis grower. We often talk about them, but this is the real deal. These folks are also really trying to push forward uh, the industry in all the right ways. Huckleberry Farms recently collaborated with Select and Deer Cannabis using 345 pounds of flour, and they created 8,000 units of full-spectrum oil that would be distributed to qualifying medical patients free of charge. SunGrown is part of the is is a big thing for them, and they've partnered with Columbia University to start to show how SunGrown has more terpenes than indoor. You heard it, Jason. They are now putting data to why SunGrown is actually better than than indoor. They've uh, I've never heard this term, but it's called sesquitter terpenes which are additional terpene profiles that don't appear on our current COAs, but when you do a full-spectrum analysis of the plant, specifically outdoor plants, you find these sesquitter terpenes, uh, and they are much more prevalent in outdoor uh, cannabis, says Knuckles, who is the investigator or the researcher from uh, Columbia University working with Humboldt Hill. So they go on to also show that in their recent test, Knuckles found uh, that while COAs for indoor is usually around 3% terpenes, it's more like 6% terpenes for outdoor sun-grown cannabis. So, you know, kudos to Huckleberry Farm for holding it down on that. They also include a bunch of COAs and whatnot so that you guys can kind of see the data. Um, during the question and answer period, they really go on and talk about what it is to be part of this cannabis movement. Last year, they won uh, for most innovative product because they have a mission where if you buy their cannabis and you like it, you want you might want to grow it. And they started having so much inbound traffic that they create these seed pucks. And you can buy these seed pucks where it's just a puck. You put it in water and it kind of puffs up to like a little cube and sprouts your uh, seed right then and there. Very easy to work with. They took it a next step further this year that if you buy their flower attached to the lid is one of these seed pucks. So talk about freeing the plant. Like one of their quotes from John uh, Caselli is, if you like the weed, grow the seed. If that's not paying it forward and what we are really, really about, I don't know what is. It's like farmers are already having a hard time and these people are including the seeds to their cannabis so that if you like it, you might grow it your own and spread the love. Tremendous respect for these folks. I immediately checked with my team to see if we were working with these folks. We don't work with them yet, but I'm looking to work with providers in the Emerald Triangle that have this kind of spirit. We need to support people. And lastly, one of the things asked uh, uh, the couple was, how can uh, people help? 
support legacy farmers and support this movement, buy flour. Look for things that say sun-grown, okay? Because remember, you guys, sun-grown is our right. We were denied it for so long. And the reason why we need it, at the very least, is the carbon footprint of indoor growth. But more importantly, now that we can grow outside without worrying about helicopters, with doing it the right way, I do believe that the magic of the sun will outshine all other cannabis. This is Guy Rocourt reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. This is fantastic, and I really, really love the press that the, um, that Huckleberry's been getting lately uh, to dig into their story and to, and to see small batch done right. Uh, I, I just love it, and I hope they get even more press going forward. Gee, what would you say those terpenes are called? What's that, Gee? What'd you say those new terpenes are called? Sesquiterpenes. Sesquiterpenes. Yes, yeah, sesquiterpenes. That's it. Sesqua, not 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 sesquit, because it's quitting as terpenes that just fall off over time because it's poof ass outdoor weed. Oh no! So thank you, Gee, for this story. I, I've been. It's the reason why eighty percent of the cannabis consumed in this country comes from California because it's outdoor grown, has a much wider terpene profile, and now we're about to see the science behind it. And beta caryophyllin is one of those. It stimulates CB2 directly in addition to its other anti-inflammatory properties. Yay! I wanted to echo what Dr. Felicia said and and say that they're finding now, after these sciences going so deeply into these terpenes, finding dietary cannabinoids and other things that are in the same. So this is really providing us just more and more possibilities for different patients to treat different conditions. And it's actually, it's phenomenal. Great story, Guy. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Let's keep smoking the news. We've got a lot more to go. Coming up next... It's the founder of the cannabis law firm with offices in California, New York, and New York. The director of the National Cannabis Industry Association, a legal publisher and author whose 2022 California Cannabis Laws and Regulations book was just released. And I have a signed copy of Gangier and Cannabis Sommelier and Purple Belt in High Style Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that will kick your ass. Omar Figueroa, what do you have for him today? Thank you. Freaky Friday, everyone. My story is from Fox News by Ryan Gatiss. The headline is Brittany Griner, prisoner swap for merchant of death on the table, Russian media claims. And the scoop is that Brittany Griner was seen in a Russian court last Friday and her pre-trial detention was extended for a month. Reiner was arrested in February at a Moscow airport for for allegedly carrying vape cartridges containing oils derived from cannabis and could face up to 10 years in prison if she's convicted. However, a trade might be on the table. Russia's TASS agency reported, citing a source, that talks were underway in a prisoner exchange. Reiner for notorious arms dealer Victor Boot. Boot is in the middle of a 25-year sentence in federal prison after he was convicted of conspiracy to kill Americans relating to the support of a Colombian terrorist organization. He was dubbed the Merchant of Death because of his notoriety for running a fleet of aging Soviet-era cargo planes to conflict-ridden hotspots in Africa. His dealings inspired the Nicolas Cage film Lord of War. The U.S. State Department didn't immediately respond to a request for comment on the report of a prisoner swap. Biden administration's potential decision to exchange this heinous Russian criminal who is serving jail time in the U.S. for being involved in killing Americans is a huge mistake, former U.S. intel officer Rebecca Koffler told Fox News Digital. This move will only encourage the Russian intelligence services to grab Americans on Russian soil so they can be exchanged for much more valuable assets for Putin. Reiner was seen in the courtroom in handcuffs wearing an orange hoodie with her hood over her head. Alexander Boykov told the Associated Press he believed the short extension would mean her trial would happen soon. The U.S. State Department determined Russia wrongfully detained the Mercury Center when she was arrested in February, an official said in a statement to Fox News Digital earlier this month. The welfare and safety of U.S. citizens abroad is among the highest priorities of the U.S. government. 
a State Department spokesperson said, the Department of State has determined that the Russian Federation has wrongfully detained U.S. citizen Brittany Greiner. With this determination, the special presidential envoy for hostage affairs, Roger Carstens, will lead the interagency team for securing Brittany Griner's release. And my take on it is that I'm glad that um, they determined that Brittany Griner is a hostage and that uh, she was detained wrongfully and uh, swapping her for a merchant of death does not seem like even close to a fair trade. At the same time, Brittany Griner does not need to be in a cage and whatever is done to get her out, I think, um, would be well worth it. And so this is Omar Figueroa, lawyer, author, and Ganjie instructor, reporting from Sebastopol and Sonoma County for the State of Cannabis News Hour. And I'd love to hear what my fellow correspondents think. Oh, Omar, what's the legal definition for an agent of death? Well, there, that, that's more like a media definition for the court of public opinion, but it's probably somebody who is an arms dealer. This seems like such a crazy like swap, but I just seeing this picture, I feel so badly for her that my heart breaks just for a vape pen. My heart goes out to her because it's like this picture is either she feels ashamed or I wonder, has she been beaten? And, you know, they're telling her to do that to hide her face. I, I just I feel really I have a very bad feeling about this photograph. Yeah, we want to bring I, I see the dreadlocks poking out from under the hood as like a, a spinal resistance. And when I saw the dreads, I, I, you know, was heartened by her defiance. Has the Biden administration signed off on this trade? I think it's all being proposed. I don't know if it's even going to be a trade. If, if hostage negotiations now. You know, she's being treated as a hostage. I mean, technically, she's a POW right now. It's very sad. It's a tough situation. Uh, but we need to keep smoking the news. Rico. Let's. <laughs> you couldn't wait to say that shit. No, <laughs> he's on it. He's on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So his love for the plant developed around the same time as his beard. As a young Michigander just looking to keep his face warm and find his way. But now as an adult, he's living in sunny Long Beach where both the beard and his endocannabinoids palate have grown. Together, they've involved to the CEO of Fruits Labs and Cannabis and IP attorney. We have coming to the stage next is Brandon Dorsky. What flavor news you got on this beautiful Friday morning, Brandon? Thanks for having me. Uh, my flavor of news is an update on San Francisco's Carnival. San Francisco's Carnival secures permit for Cannabis Garden, first in the state for a neighborhood event, as reported by the San Francisco Chronicle. Event organizers received welcome news on May 11th when a permit necessary to allow for on-site sales and consumption at this month's carnival was granted, making it the first street fair to have legal cannabis use in the state of California. The Garden Day Herba Buena will be open on Memorial Weekend, May 28th and 29th, at a fenced area located on Treat Avenue between Harrison and 17th Streets in the Bay. Attendees will need to be 21 or older to access the garden, a group of local women, including Bay Area native Nina Parks, organized the effort for the garden to exist. We want to create a space for people to experience and learn about the plant, said Parks. Despite announcing the garden in January, it took until this week to obtain the necessary approvals. Executive Director of the Carnival, Rodrigo Duran, said, quote, because this is the first time in the state of California, there's a lot of conversations around permitting, procedures, and protocols. In addition to the Cannabis Garden, the 44th Annual Carnival will feature five main stages, 50 local performing artists, and 400 vendors. It is the fourth outdoor event in San Francisco to allow for legal cannabis consumption, but the first outside of Golden Gate Park. It will start at 10 a.m. on May 28th and continue until 6 p.m. that evening and run for the same amount of time the following day, and it is free for all attendees. However, seats are being sold for grandstand seating for the Grand Parade and can be purchased at CarnivalSanFrancisco.org. That is about all that the story had for us, but it is very exciting uh, that there's going to be a outdoor street fair with permitted cannabis consumption. Big shout out to Nina Parks and anybody else who worked on making this happen. It's Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis. I think there's a little green envy going on today 
That's a great Huge story. Place. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I used to leave to live on Treat Street when I was on in law school. And uh, I know it's Treat Avenue, but everybody calls it Treat Street. And uh, I'm so happy that there's going to be a permitted cannabis event back in my old neighborhood. They're going to have treats on your street, Omar? Back in We need more cannabis events. <laughs> That's right. Freaks and treats. We do. We need farmers markets every Sunday. No, no, and no, we don't. <laughs> don't like that, do you, Jason? Farmers markets are stupid. Shop local. Yeah, exactly. Shop local. Buy better gas is what you actually should be telling the people. Buy better gas. But with all that, is it a bird? Oh, go ahead, Liz. Oh, I see. I love this picture. Isn't it awesome? Yes. Let's keep smoking the news. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's a delivery van with a delivery smoother than DHL and a price point lower than FedEx. That's right. It's Clark Kent Delivery. Coming next to the stage is Christopher Smith. He's the communications strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report. What do you have this morning for us, Clark? Thank you, Jason. Now I realize that my story today is very necessary because I've been reduced from a superhero to a delivery van. Um, I hope all this makes sense. I have two confessions to make. One, um, I only skimmed this article. And two, I've been not, I have not been living up to the incredible introduction I usually get from the fellas, the Superman stuff. But back when I really had a cape, I would read stories that were a, a little bit of news, but really just an excuse to talk about people in our community. But for the last few weeks, I've just been reading the news, just sort of phoning it in. So apologies for that. But luckily, Clever Susan took, shook me out of my torpor last week and included me in the interview of Tim Blake and Taylor Blake, founders of the Emerald Cup and longtime warrior of God's favorite plant. And that was really cool. So thank you again for including me. Uh, I was excited to ask Tim, do you consider yourself part of the cannabis industry or the cannabis community? Does he really care about regulations and tax revenues or what the tax money's doing for people, about what cannabis job really means for a family? And does he read corporate reports or the book that I just bought, Cannabis Saved My Life? By the time it was my turn, Tim had answered the question many times over community. So I asked, if I were to do an article about you and your decades of work in our community, who would you want mentioned with you? I mean, Tim's a hero to many of us, but who are his heroes? So f for the record, Tim answered Dennis Hunter and all the good people at Canacraft. He answered uh, Pebbles Trippett, Dennis Perone, Woody Harrelson, and Susan Soares, which made me feel very proud. And Tim's daughter added her dad, of course, and Valerie Corral and Frenchie Cannoli. So the mention of all these heroes makes me think of wars and battles and the war on drugs, frankly. So, but we know that the war on drugs is really a war against people, the war declared by the American government against its own people, and that we, inspired by the warriors that the one, like the ones Tim and Taylor mentioned, have outlasted the greatest country, military, law enforcement, and legal machine the world has ever seen. Cannabis is now more powerful, more affordable, more available than ever in history. We won. And in a normal war, the winners dictate the terms of the peace. I mean, if we think of Appomattox Courthouse when the Confederate Army surrendered, who wrote the peace agreement? Robert E. Lee? No. When the Japanese surrendered on the USS Missouri at the end of World War II, did they dictate the terms of the peace? No. They lost. So why is Chuck Schumer trying to dictate the terms of a peace agreement when he's representing the government that lost the war on drugs? The reason is he thinks he's negotiating about the cannabis industry, the licenses, the MBAs, the lawyers. The war on drugs was fought against our community, but the peace is going to be negotiated with the industry. Now, I don't know how to solve that problem. I don't know how to get to a peace agreement that we can work with and thrive, but it's, all of this is bugging me. The, the war on drugs was based on a mythology that's no different from the bedtime stories that terrified us as kids, that scared us of the, the deep dark forest or the night or the, the evil in the full moon. The, reefer, the myth of reefer madness says there's evil in a plant, like the comic book Swamp Thing or something. Well, how do you beat evil? Normal people don't. Superheroes do. Now, uh, am I a superhero like the fellas say? No, no. I, have I put my life on the line for the plant like Tim Blake or Guy Racor or Jason Beck or Susan Soares? No. Or get arrested dozens of times like Sun Ra Moore and others in the room today? No. But I love that our community has superheroes like these. I'm reading the book Cannabis Save My Life, not Cannabis Save My Bottom Line. 
Being part of the cannabis industry is cool, but being part of this incredible community is something worth fighting for. Have a good weekend, everyone. 100%, Brandon. Green hearts all the way. Thank you, Christopher. Uh, Tim Blake is such an amazing leader, and I am so excited to go to the award show this weekend. Um, She's going to be turped up, Susan. Turped up it is. You're, yep, Terps are going to win. But I'd, I'm going to keep it going because we are almost out of time, and I want to get in this story really quickly. Move over, California. Utah might be schooling us on how to do consumption events. My story comes from Fox 13, two Fox stories today, and the headline is Medical Cannabis Conference to Include a Space for Patients to Use. The Utah Can Conference started in 2018. It's at the Utah State Fairgrounds, and it attracts a couple thousand people. The event features Vendors, medical professionals, state officials, and others discussing medical cannabis access and education. The organizers are providing a, quote, respite tent for attendees. It's a special area where medical cannabis patients can go for emergency use of their medicine. While use of medical cannabis in public is illegal to, in Utah, together for responsible use in cannabis education, Executive Director Christine Stenquist told Fox News, 13 News, there's a provision for emergency use. That was included in both Proposition 2, which legalized medical cannabis in Utah, and the legislature's replacement of it. Quote, it's not up to the promoter, it's not up to me, the state, or anybody to dictate what an emergency for a patient is. Unquote, Sanquist said, adding, quote, it should be perfectly legal. It's under our law and in our statute, unquote. The law states that people cannot use medical cannabis in public view unless they, they are experiencing an emergency medical condition. The respite tent will have walls to shield patients from public view. Sanquist said it makes sense, particularly at an event where people who use cannabis as a medicine to treat a number of conditions, quote, providing an avenue for patients to do in a privacy setting. We don't have patients just walking around the venue using it willy-nilly, so I definitely think it's a responsible use situation. Utah's Department of Health confirmed it was notified about the respite tent. Quote, we are looking forward to a forum where the science and importance of medical choices and responsible and legal use of cannabis are discussed, unquote, Richard Orton said in a statement to Fox 13 News. Quote, we have informed the conference or organizers that any permissible, permissive use of medical cannabis at the conference requires the consultation of their attorney to ensure it follows the law, unquote. I'd say this is a pretty progressive move on Utah's part. Utah and progress really don't go together the same sentence, so that's something. I, that's well, something. you know, maybe. There's a, yeah. This is a great story. Like, they should have had this so long ago. How many conferences have we had? I've gotten to medical cannabis conferences, and, like, you're always just trying to go hide and smoke. So, medicate. So, thank you. Have an great emergency. <laughs> I need my ADHD yes. medication. Come on. It's an emergency. Buy Stop. better gas, smoke better weed, buy better gas. That's all you have to do. Well, we've reached the top of the hour. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcast. A big thank you to all the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show and our pinup girl, Liz Rogan. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country, you take us deeper into the story, add color, and sometimes provide amazing sound bites. Let's do another one. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. Free Britney G. Free Britney G. Have a great weekend, everyone. Bye. See you guys soon. Bye.